You don't have to listen to Sports Grid. You can always go to a horse stable, find one with shoes, pry one off, and hang it over your door. Or you can get the winning edge right here. And you won't take a hoof to the head. This is Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. Hour number three in the morning after on this Tuesday morning. Hour number three is happy hour each and every weekday right here on the grid. Sirius XM, channel 159, the new home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM and all across the Sports Grid Network. I'm Ben Stevens. We thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning, especially our West Coast listeners and viewers, because this is our West Coast wake up. Wake up early with us on the Western Coast to join us here for the morning after. And because of that, let's look back last night on what happened on Monday Night Football in Northern California, Santa Clara, California to be exact. The San Francisco 49ers thoroughly dominant all game long, all four quarters from start to finish against the LA Rams. The Niners winning 31 to 10. San Francisco had not won a home game all year long. 0 and 4 winless straight up at home also 0 and 4 ATS at home entering last night on a Monday night but Kyle Shanahan has had Sean McVay's number the Niners win 31 to 10 they win outright as a three and a half point underdog the over under total that got steamed up to 50 and a half prior to kick falls under 31 to 10 the final there once again so the Niners just covering their third game of the year three and six ATS are, is where the Niners are right now. The Rams also, without covering a three-and-a-half-point spread as the favorite last night on the road, fall to below 500 against the number. The Rams straight up, though, 7-3, and three, the second-place team in the NFC West. We'll look at those divisional odds here in just a moment. But it was also a big night from a wide receiver perspective for both teams. Entering last night, we had the two leading receivers in the entire NFL. For the Rams, Cooper Cup. For the Niners, Debo Samuel. Debo was featured for the Niners in many different ways, but still went over his receiving yards prop of 73 and a half, finishing with five grabs for 97 yards and a touchdown. Cooper Cup, the leading receiver in the NFL, added it on last night. 10 grabs, 100, or excuse me, 11 receptions for 122 yards. Also yesterday, we talked about a number that had tons of plus money value that stood out to both myself and FanDuel's Tom Vecchio when he came on to preview Monday Night Football from a prop perspective. George Kittle in his second game back getting healthier and healthier for those Niners. Plus 175 to find the end zone with an anytime touchdown score prop at plus 175. George Kittle found the end zone last night, cashing that big plus money price. Also, from a receiver perspective, it was the debut in a Rams uniform for Odell Beckham Jr. Just two grabs on 18 yards, only targeted three times by Matthew Stafford. So maybe that connection starting to build. It seemed like last night the rhythm wasn't quite there offensively for the Rams, who really do miss old Bobby Trees, as we call him. Robert Woods out for the remainder of this year with a torn ACL. He was the second leading receiver on the Rams in the first half of this season. 556 total yards, five receiving touchdowns. Odell Beckham Jr. will now look to replace that production. Only two grabs for 18 yards last night in his debut for the Rams. Many more to come for Odell Beckham Jr. in that Los Angeles uniform. So a divisional matchup last night up in Santa Clara between the Rams and the Niners. The Niners entered last night with the longest odds to win this division on the FanDuel Sportsbook. 85-1. to 1. 
was San Francisco entering last night's Monday night football contest. That's interesting from a numbers perspective because San Francisco was the favorite to win the NFC West entering the year at plus 185. 85 to 1 entering the game. Now after the game, 48 to 1 are the San Francisco 49ers to win the NFC West as we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here to the third and final hour of the morning after. You are listening on Sirius XM, Channel 159, the Mightier 1090 out on the West Coast. I'm your host, Ben Stevens. Look at those NFC West divisional odds. The Niners' odds growing much, much shorter by nearly 40 bucks from 85 to 1 to now 48 to 1 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. But despite that very positive movement, their odds still the longest to win this division. The Seattle Seahawks, 44 to 1, also had the market work in their favor based on this result last night, more so because the Rams lost. The Rams entered Monday Night Football plus 135 with the second shortest odds to win the NFC West division on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Still the second shortest odds, but nearly a buck of movement against them in this marketplace. Now plus 220 with the second shortest odds to win this division. Arizona, their odds getting better as the odds on favorites to win the NFC West right now. We're minus 160 entering yesterday. Now minus 250 as the heavy odds on favorite to win the NFC West. Why this is so important is because it's almost like the NL West in baseball throughout most of this year. One of these two teams, the Cardinals or the Rams, are going to have to play in that wild card spot. And maybe it's the Cardinals who might have the win in the division, but would at least have home field advantage if they are not the number one overall seed in the NFC playoffs. Right now, the favorites to do that, the Green Bay Packers at plus 200, the Cardinals and the Cowboys plus 300 to be the number one overall seed in the NFC playoffs. So this race now in the second half of this NFL season of who will be the top spot in the the NFC West is going to be fascinating to follow. The Cardinals have already beaten the Rams once this year. The Rams and the Cards play in a couple of Sundays and what will most likely decide who is the top seed in this division coming out of the NFC West. It should be noted only the Niners out of the NFC West won during week 10 of the NFL campaign on Monday night, knocking off the Rams who lost. The Cardinals got housed by the Carolina Panthers without Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins for a second straight game. And then the Seattle Seahawks lost on the road in Green Bay in the return of Russell Wilson. Coming up on the other side of the break, an update from the College Hoops landscape. Some action on the hardwood last night. Plenty more tonight on a Tuesday. Stay with us here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159. I'm your host, Ben Stevens. Not only do we have college football ending off the regular season, the NFL now in the second half of its regular season, the NBA, NHL in action. Do not forget about college basketball. Now in the second week of this regular season, we have some great games last night and we have some more great games for this upcoming Tuesday evening, especially in the Gavit tip-off games, which pits a team from the Big Ten Conference against a team from the Big East Conference. Big, get it? 
matchups on the hardwood to start off this college basketball season. And that was the case last night in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the Pfizer Forum, where the Milwaukee Bucks play their home game. But last night, it was the Marquette Golden Owls taking on the Illinois Fighting Illini. And it was Marquette as an underdog winning that game outright, 67-66 over the Illinois Fighting Illini. The Illini, the 10th ranked team in the country in the AP poll that came out this week, yet it was Marquette getting the win last night, 67-66. Again, the final in Milwaukee between Illinois and the Golden Eagles yesterday, 26 turnovers for Illinois. That's not a misprint. 26 turnovers for the Fighting Illini in a game that is 40 minutes long in collegiate basketball 40 minutes of regulation and illinois turned the ball over 26 times three times in the final minute and 10 seconds of that contest so that is why marquette was able to prevail 67 66 over illinois handing the illini a big non-conference loss already in their campaign in the hunt for a big 10 title obviously that does not affect their conference portion but as the 10th team in the country the 10th ranked team in the country you never want to lose outright this early on it should be noted illinois currently playing without kofi coburn who was fulfilling the third game of an ncaa suspension handed to him for a ridiculous reason that was the third and final game illinois will play without kofi this year just the ncaa being ridiculous but kofi misses the game doesn't really matter when you turn the ball over 26 times and from a rebounding perspective they still out rebounded marquette 50 to 30, a plus 20 rebound differential, even without the big man, Kofi Coburn, in there for Illinois and lost the game 67 to 66. Another big game last night featuring the number one team in the country, the favorites to win the national championship, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who are off to a perfect 3-0 start this year. But last night against Alcorn State did not cover a 30 nine and a half point spread that is nitpicking on the gonzaga bulldogs who have been so so good already this year the favorites right now at plus 650 nearly five and a half dollars less than the team with the second shortest odds in michigan at the current moment michigan and texas or it was texas prior to that gonzaga beat texas over the weekend 86 to 74 covering as a six and a half seven and a half point favorite in that game on Saturday night against the Longhorns. Gonzaga off to a one and two start against the numbers so far this year. They have not covered against Dixie State and Alcorn State. They were a 39 and a half, 40 point favorite in both of those games, but Gonzaga winning big last night, 84 to 57. So as we look at the national championship market right now, Gonzaga, the favorite, plus 650. Michigan and Texas are still there at 12 to one. Duke also tied for the second shortest odds at 12 to one. We had some breaking news this morning about star freshman for the Duke Blue Devils, Paolo Boncaro, who was charged or is facing charges along with another player on the Duke men's basketball team, the grandson of Mike Krzyzewski, for DWI charges. Duke plays tonight against Gardner-Webb. We will monitor that story as any other breaking news updates come to that. But Paolo Boncaro, who had some of the best odds to win the College Basketball Player of the Year, otherwise known as the Wooden Award, could be facing some legal issues off the floor. Any updates we get to that here on the morning after, we will monitor that situation and bring you the latest as it pertains to college basketball. So action on the hardwood tonight in the NCAA slate for college basketball should be a good one. A ton of great games across the entire state. Like I mentioned, we have the Big East versus the Big Ten in the Gavit tip-off games. A great game for that tonight. 
Michigan against Seton Hall. The Wolverines laying eight and a half points against the Hall. The over-under total, 138 and a half. Michigan at home in the Chrysler Center taking on the Seton Hall Pirates in this Big Ten Big East matchup. Like we mentioned, Michigan, the second shortest odds to win the national championship right now. 12 to 1. Michigan off to an undefeated start. They were tested by Buffalo late last week, but undefeated to start off this year against Seton Hall. As I have often said and will continue to say through this college basketball season, if you do not subscribe to Kenneth Pomeroy, KenPom.com, for the metrics that matter when it comes to everything you need to know in college hoops, that's where you need to go. Not only to know how good a team is so you can evaluate from your own handicapping perspective, Ken Palm also runs his simulations to give you a predictive outcome for this game. And oftentimes I feel like bookmakers out there take their opening lines from what Kenneth Pomeroy believes a closing number will be between, in this case, Michigan and Seton Hall. Right now, Ken Palm predicts Michigan and Seton Hall to play in a game where Michigan will win by 11 points. You have that number at 8.5 tonight in Ann Arbor between Seton Hall and Michigan. The Wolverines rank as the second most efficient team in Ken Palm's rankings. Seton Hall, 35th in the country right now. Part of a great slate of games on this Tuesday evening. Another very good game, Houston and Virginia in a great non-conference matchup. Virginia lost their opener to start off this season against Navy. They have rallied back since then. And in this game between Houston and Virginia tonight, as I pull up the updated odds here on the FanDuel Sportsbook, just want to make sure I have the numbers correct for you here. Houston, a five-and-a-half point favorite on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now. You see that total in the low 20s. It has come down even from there. 119-and-a-half. Why? Are you seeing a 119 and a hook for a regular season college basketball game? Because we know about Virginia. We know the style that Tony Bennett wants to pay, play. That pack line defense that really solidifies things from a defensive perspective for the Virginia Cavaliers. What about Houston? Also a great defensive team that we saw make that run to the Elite Eight last year and how good that defense was for the Houston Cougars. Now ranking as the eighth most efficient defense in all of college basketball so far this year for Houston. So that's why the total is as low as it is at 119.5 for Virginia and Houston tonight. Should be a great game. Again, the Cougs, a 5.5-point favorite at home against UVA tonight. As we look through some of the rest of this board on this Tuesday evening on the FanDuel Sportsbook, a great game that is near and dear to my heart as I used to work in Omaha, Nebraska, Creighton and Nebraska in a big matchup in those Gavit tip-off games this evening in Lincoln at Pinnacle Bank Arena where the Huskers will host the Creighton Blue Jays. Right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, it's an intriguing number to me. The Blue Jays are getting three and a half on the road against the Nebraska Cornhuskers who lost their opening game of the year to Western Illinois in a buy game. What a buy game means is a team that has more money to spend pays a smaller school to come to their arena to play a basketball game that often should lead to the team that is paying the other to come to win that game pretty easily. Nebraska lost that opener to start off this season in year number three, I believe it is, of the Fred Hoiberg era in Lincoln, Nebraska. Nebraska with a very talented freshman in Bryce McGowan's was the Big Ten freshman of the week, the only five-star recruit in the history of Nebraska ball, but it has been a struggle to start off this year. So Nebraska laying three and a half against a Creighton team that has been an NCAA tournament team in years past. Maybe not off to that prolific of an outcome this year, or at least how they will look 
prospectively throughout the rest of this college basketball season. But Creighton getting three and a half. I know on the road in Lincoln in an in-state rivalry between these two teams. Creighton from Omaha, Nebraska. Nebraska in Lincoln, Nebraska. Should be a great game. Right now, I think it's probably closer than that three and a half point spread indicates. I would take the Blue Jays getting three and a half points even on the road. It's going to be a tight game. You could maybe even tempt me to Creighton winning this game outright on the road in Lincoln against Nebraska tonight. So many great college basketball games this evening to keep an eye on all the updated odds right now up on the FanDuel Sportsbook. When we come back, it's time to talk some college football. The third CFP poll rankings of the year come out tonight. Connor O'Gara joins us to talk all about that next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, and all around the SportsGrid network. I'm your host, Ben Stevens. Now very pleased to welcome on Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. He joins us each and every Tuesday, not only to talk about the Southeastern Conference and what's ahead on the Saturday slate. Connor, I can't believe it's the second to last Saturday of this college football regular season. But also on Tuesdays, it is vitally important we get Connor's thoughts ahead of a new release of the college football playoff rankings. First and foremost, Connor, thank you for joining us again on this Tuesday morning. Good to be here at this time last week. I was of the impression that Michigan, Michigan State actually happened. Here I am a week later, yeah. only to find out that it did not. So I, I know we're going to talk about the rankings tonight, but to be honest, if we're going to have selective memories of what football actually happened and what didn't, man, we're just throwing darts at this point. Absolutely so. You would hope there would be a complete theory each and every week that we can follow the formula, or maybe not even of a formula, but a thought process to at least explain why teams are ranked ahead of the other and not inconsistencies on a week-to-week -week basis. But you never know with the good old college football playoff selection committee. So before we hear from Gary Barton tonight, and before we see those CFP polls that come out on ESPN later this evening, let's hear it from Connor O'Gara. How Connor would rank the top six right now. Not how he expects the committee to rank the top six, but how Connor O'Gara would rank the top six teams as it pertains to the college football playoff across the country right now. Connor, as always, the floor is yours. See, me as a, as a fan of, of actually watching football games and acknowledging that they indeed happen, I have still Georgia at number one. I have Cincinnati at number two as the, the, the two unbeatens remaining, either the group of five or power five level. Didn't mean to slight UTSA there, actually. So I guess they're two of the three, but we don't need to talk about UTSA. And at number three, Oregon, number four, Alabama, five, Michigan State. And six, I know Big Ten Ben is going to love this one. I have Ohio State, who mm. still is yet to beat a team that's actually like competing for a New Year's Six Bowl, despite what the selection committee continues to tell us on a weekly basis. 
So here's my thing, Connor. I have no issue with Oregon being ranked ahead of Ohio State at the moment. I think that will take care of itself if you are going to have the Ducks ranked ahead of the Buckeyes because of that head-to-head matchup in the second week of the regular season. Fine. Just keep that same thought process as we go throughout the rankings, maybe even just a couple of spots below. But again, we'll get into Michigan and Michigan State here in a little bit. I do want to ask you about having Michigan State ahead of Ohio State as they will face off this upcoming weekend in Columbus. So it will again take care of itself. Ohio State currently an 18.5 point favorite for that game against the Spartans. But is Michigan State ahead of Ohio State in your rankings right now because MSU has a more quality win having knocked off Michigan as opposed to Ohio State? Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean... (laughs) Michigan State beat a legit top 10 team. And this is about who you beat. This is about showing that you could be on that level. Nobody gets into the college football playoff based on games against Maryland, Rutgers, and Indiana. It's just not the case. And so I want to see, do you have that top end talent? Do you have wins that actually hold up over the course of time? The reason I continue to give Cincinnati and Michigan State the benefit of the doubt, Oregon as well, is because they have wins that have held up. So I'm trying to figure out here what the selection committee is going to tell us tonight that's going to make us say, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense why Ohio State is giving more love than this one-loss team because Ohio State doesn't have a win against the current AP Top 25. And I feel like I'm just shouting on deaf ears on a weekly basis, and I don't want to sit here and tell you about Ohio State's Power 5 margin of victory when they haven't played Power 5 teams better than a four-loss team. Right? like That's what we're talking about here. Penn State, four-loss team. Purdue, four-loss team. Congratulations. But until they actually beat one of these contenders in the East, that is Michigan State or Michigan, I'm not going to give them that love. I just don't think that they're worth it. And I think that the selection committee really dug itself a hole by ranking Michigan ahead of Michigan State last week. And now all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're doing mental gymnastics and they're trying to you know, do what they do on a weekly basis, which is come up with some random excuse as to why a certain team is better than the other. Ohio State talking about their resume they're, they're, they're telling us about the Maryland win and how good that is like what, what are we doing here if that's the, really the criteria that we're being that, that we're being judged on I, I think that they've kind of made a mockery of this so far and kind of the, the, the double standard that they've had for for certain teams at the top Connor I think the committee dug at that hole intentionally so eventually they can move Ohio State past Oregon so that the head-to-head they highlighted in the initial rankings was not necessarily carrying the same weight in the second rankings and then it goes and goes and goes so that by the time we get to the final rankings in early December even if Oregon and Ohio State are both one loss conference champions and the one thing that separates them is that head-to-head Ohio State can move ahead of Oregon because as it feels like, Connor, in my opinion, the committee is grasping at straws each and every week and making things poof up out of thin air that they want to dictate whatever they want to dictate. And might that come into play with Cincinnati and Notre Dame? And might that lead to some speculation about a two-loss Alabama team? So, Connor, I agree with your rankings right now. I think Ohio State's a better team than Michigan State. I think Ohio State's going to beat Michigan State this weekend, as the odds are indicating, minus 18 and a half. But... The one point I have always said about the college football playoff rankings is, yes, at the end of the day, you're setting up a path for what those final four teams will be at the end of the year. But the rankings also need to take into account what has already happened. That's what a ranking system is, taking into account things we have seen, actual outcomes on the football field that have played out 
predictive odds to dictate who has a better shot of winning the national championship or the Big Ten Conference are odds from a predictive model. Rankings are not predictive. They take into account what has already happened. So your rankings here, although I might move things around slightly, the arguments you're putting forth, I don't really have an argument against in a very strong way. Ben, I'm I'm in church right now, and I'm sitting in the, in, the, in the front row, and I've just got my hands raised. I'm feeling the gospel right now with what you're saying because I know we're talking gambling. This is a gambling show, but at the same time, if, if that were the case and if these games were played strictly based on odds and point spreads and all those different things, then l- let's just not even play a season. Let's just decide this in the preseason because – if, if that were the case and if we knew who the better team was, and I hate it when people say this over and over, who will be favored on a neutral site? That's not the way that rankings are supposed to be based on because then if that were the case, mm-hmm. then surely everybody that brings that up would be millionaires and they would not be talking about college football for a living. They'd be retired on a beach, and that's just not the case. We don't know who the better teams are until they actually play football games. So that's what I base my rankings on. Hopefully the selection committee will actually take football into account, but we'll wait and see tonight. Yeah, we will wait and see. I don't think there's going to be much movement in the top five tonight. I think you will have Georgia number one. I think you'll have Alabama number two. I still think the Ducks hold on to number three, Ohio State four, Cincinnati five. And I guess if you already ranked Michigan ahead of Michigan State, you're going to have Michigan ahead of Michigan State after Michigan beat Penn State this past weekend. But Connor, I think it's fascinating that we talk about that nature, right? The predictive nature of odds versus what a rankings system should take into account in what a selection committee that is paid a lot of money to watch many football games should also take into consideration. Because when you look at the college football playoff national championship odds right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook, Georgia remains the odds on favorite to get it done. Minus 125. Alabama actually was leaped by Ohio State this past week. Ohio State now the second shortest odds at plus 350. Alabama plus 450. Then a pretty significant drop off to Oregon at 30 to 1. But you see those four teams right there. That's the predictive nature about where this is going to go. Ohio State right now, I still could make the case Oregon has a better resume based on the head-to-head matchup if the committee wants to follow that. But again, National championship odds are predictive. Rankings are not, Connor O'Gara. Yeah, I'd like Oklahoma State of that group more than Oregon, probably more than Oklahoma. I don't know why Oklahoma has better odds than Oklahoma State. After the Baylor loss, Oklahoma's not getting in the college football playoff. It's it's not happening. Cool, they they might be able to win a Big 12 championship, but even a one-loss Oklahoma team is not getting in above an undefeated Cincinnati team. So Oklahoma State, I realize the road is really difficult because they essentially would have to win. They're going to have to win Bedlam, and then they would have to win either a rematch with Oklahoma or a rematch with Baylor, a team that they already beat. So that's why that road is a little bit more difficult. And the same thing with Oregon. Nobody's expecting Oregon to beat Utah twice. That's why those odds are where they're at right now. So Oregon, that's why the fall off is so significant. I saw the ESPN FPI, which take that for what you will. But they had Oregon like a 3% chance to win or to get to the college football playoff. And I'm thinking to myself, all right, that, that's extreme. That's too much. Maybe they do actually match up well with Utah, and we're probably underestimating them at this point. But it just kind of speaks to the top-heavy nature of this year. I mean, even Alabama. Like, Alabama has been in a one-score game in, in, in four of their six SEC games in the fourth quarter. Like, Alabama's played down to his competition a lot, and they're not necessarily – in the clear after, you know, even after Auburn had that slip up with a 28 to three loss or, you know, losing a 28 to three lead. I know they got TJ Finley mm-hmm. as a starter, but yeah, I kind of look at those odds and I scratch my head and go, man, 
I, I'd have a tough time putting putting money on any one of those. Oklahoma State's the only real dart throw. Maybe Michigan there because they would also have that path. But I'd probably lean at those two over over any of those other contenders. Yeah, I can't wait to see what the make college football playoff odds are after the rankings come out tonight because Oklahoma, who was minus 174 to make the playoff entering last Saturday against Baylor, is now going to be in heavy plus money, you would expect, in Oklahoma State, who has one of the best defenses in all of the country, one of the top three rushing defenses in all of the country, seems like the better side of the two schools from Oklahoma, and they will play each other to end out the regular season in Bedlam. So again, a lot of this will play itself out, but as Connor laid it out to you, and as we would hope the CFP selection committee will lay it out for us tonight, the rankings should take into account what has already happened. What is going to happen the penultimate weekend in all of college football of this regular season. We check in on some key games across the SEC Saturday slate. Connor O'Gara stays with us for one more segment. You stay with us here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back right here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, the new home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. I'm Ben Stevens. For the second straight segment, previewing the SEC Saturday slate for the second to last weekend of the regular season in college football, Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South joins us right here on TMA. Connor, we were joking about it throughout the break. Maybe it's not the most marquee of matchups across the entire Southeastern Conference this upcoming weekend in the penultimate Saturday of the regular season, but still, we can look at the games and maybe formulate what we might see for the end of the year heading into conference championship race in just a couple of weekends from now. And of course, a team we expect to be representing the SEC West, Alabama, a 21 and a half point favorite this Saturday at home against Arkansas. The over under total for that matchup, 57 and a half. That is a very big spread for what early in the year looked to be a much more competitive game than what we are seeing right now based on those odds. Connor, what do you make of this matchup between Alabama and Arkansas on Saturday? Give me the give me the twenty one and a half. You know, I brought up the stat um, on last segment about how Alabama has been in one score games in the fourth quarter in four of its six SEC games, and Arkansas can hang. I mean, they, they absolutely can. Let's not forget that they they beat a good A and M team at a neutral site. They beat Texas before everybody was doing it, including Kansas. They are a team <laughs> that is figuring some things out defensively too, even without Jalen Catalan on the back end. There's a scenario that I envisioned for this game in which Jamison Williams, the Ohio State transfer, gets behind Miles Slusher and scores like three touchdowns in this game. And Arkansas is all of a sudden like down 28 to nothing. And I'm like, why in the world did I say Arkansas would cover? But at the same time, I really like the way that they can control the clock. They are a team that can beat you with the ground game. They have several guys who can do it. KJ Jefferson makes these plays, one or two plays every single game in which you're like, oh my gosh, 
that's like one of the best plays I've seen all year. He did it even in a kind of grinded out sort of game on the road in Death Valley at night this past weekend and helped him pull out a victory there to beat LSU for the first time in six years. So I, I think that Arkansas hangs around. I, I think they get the ground game going a little bit. I still think Bama wins this game outright. I wouldn't necessarily be taking you know Arkansas money line in this one, but I, I think 21 and a half is a good amount for an Alabama team that, you know what, just hasn't had that killer instinct that we've seen in the past. Alabama did cover a 51 and a half point spread against New Mexico State this past Saturday, but now back into the conference slate. Two more games to go for Alabama, Arkansas this weekend, and then a road trip in the Iron Bowl against Auburn. Speaking of Auburn, a seven and a half point favorite are the Tigers this week on the road against South Carolina. Now, there might be some speculation around the head coach of the Gamecocks, Shane Beamer, who is the son of Frank Beamer, who is the former head coach at Virginia Tech. There is an opening now at VaTech because of Justin Fuente being fired this morning with a press release that went out on a Tuesday at 7.45 a.m. Eastern time. We will talk about some speculation in the coaching ranks around the SEC, but for this matchup, Connor, you have Auburn, a seven and a half point favorite one week prior to the Auburn Bowl or to Auburn Bowl to the Iron Bowl. Excuse me. We saw South Carolina pull off the upset of Florida two Saturdays ago. What's the approach to this matchup? Well, first of all, if, if you're putting those early odds on Shane Beamer to take the Virginia Tech job, I think you're throwing your money away. I think you're lighting it on fire. He's not Willie Taggart. He's not going to be one and done at, at a program like South Carolina, a place where he's invested so much time and energy. And everybody's going to make that connection, of course, with Frank Beamer. And there is definitely a nostalgic part of him that loves his time there. But remember that even during his time as an assistant, he kind of went all over the place. He wasn't just some Virginia Tech lifer. He learned from some of the best coaches that this sport had in the 21st century. I spent a half hour with Shane Beamer one-on-one talking to him. And I just got the sense that guy is all in. He's ready to go. So I wouldn't necessarily worry about that being a distraction this week. What I'd be more worried about is the fact that T.J. Finley lit up South Carolina last year. That was his first career start, did it for LSU, and I understand the pieces around him were different, but, man, he totally shredded that defense, a defense that still had a lot to play for, still had a guy like J.C. Horn there, and it was pretty ugly. So I'd be worried about that. I think Auburn has a bounce-back game. I think after a week of hearing about how bad they are after a 28-3 to blown lead i think they're able to respond in this one and they're able to kind of beat up on a south carolina team that has been a little bit touch and go and probably played a lot better than uh they actually are in that game against florida so connor we have auburn and alabama in two weekends from now in the iron bowl if auburn does bounce back and takes care of business on the road against south carolina this week and then you have alabama hopefully winning comfortably maybe not covering 21 and a half against arkansas but still winning comfortably what do you think the spread would be for that Iron Bowl to end out the regular season in Jordan-Hare? That's, that's a great question. It's got to be at least three scores at this point. I would probably say it's Alabama minus 17. Look, at the same time, you know, Alabama's lost its last two trips to Jordan-Hare. I'm going to teach Big Ten Ben how to say that, Jordan-Hare. Um, but it, Jordan it is Hare? one of those games. Jordan-Hare. Jordan-Hare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Herb Street, whenever okay. – Herb Street will, like – Herb Street will flex on college game day if you've ever noticed that. Like he'll he'll take the opportunity to say Jordan Hare just to show that he that he knows what it is. So you're not alone in that. I, I trust me, born and raised in the Midwest, I do the same thing. But that's going to be the scary thing for for Alabama is the fact that their last two trips there they lost. 
and they were the better team. And it didn't really matter. They lost a freshman Bo Nix there, a game in which Bo Nix completed half his passes, but Mac Jones threw a pair of pick sixes, and that was all she wrote. But I still think Alabama should have the advantage in that one. I, I would worry about Auburn trying to protect and defend against Will Anderson, who's going to have all sorts of opportunities to get to TJ Finley and could very easily take over that game. I could see all of a sudden that narrative about, hey, we should be talking more about Will Anderson for the Heisman after that football game. So I would probably say Alabama would be in a favorable position, but you're going to hear a lot of people talking about those last two trips that Alabama has had to make to the Plains. I think I looked at Will Anderson's updated odds to win the Heisman Trophy. As of this past week, they were 100-1 to 1 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Will Anderson, a defender for the Alabama Crimson Tide in a trip to Jordan-Hare, I hope I'm saying that correctly, against Auburn <laughs> in two weekends from now in the Iron Bowl. But this weekend again, Connor, maybe not the most incredible slate in the SEC but an interesting game because of how bad both of these teams have been this year. Of course, all the talk in that early window this past Saturday in college football was about the fact that Florida was getting tested and beaten at times by Samford at home in the swamp this past Saturday. Florida on the road this week, an eight and a half point favorite against Missouri. The Gators, three and seven against the number. Missouri, two and eight against the spread so far this year. The Gators, an eight-and-a-half-point road favorite. Connor, the over-under total of 69-and-a-half does not seem big enough to me. I think both teams can score 40, not because of how prolific the offenses are, but because of how porous the defenses are. What do you make of this game? Ben, I, I busted your chops for the pronunciation of Jordan Hare, but I'm going to give you praise for stopping and saying Samford, just so that people didn't listen too quickly and think, wait, did he say Stanford? No, 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 no. Samford had 52 points in the swamp. This is an FCS team who, yes, runs the air raid offense, but was four and five. That tells you everything you know you need to know about this Florida defense and the way that it's been playing football in the last few weeks here. And now without Todd Grant, the defensive coordinator, they were lost. And I think they're going to be lost in this game. I don't think Florida is going to want to go to Columbia and tackle Tyler Beatty. It's as simple as that. Tyler Beatty is having a better season than you or I or anybody who watches college football regularly probably realizes. It's crazy the production that he has had in Eli Drinkowitz's offense taking over for Larry Roundtree. One of the most underrated players in all of college football, 200 carries, 50 catches out of the backfield as well. He's the only player in the country that can say that. He is going to be a nightmare to tackle for that Florida defense. Florida is not going to be ready to go. I think Mizzou comes out ready in a game in which they can clinch bowl eligibility, they play fired up. Their mm. defense, which has been terrible all year, actually looked really good last week, albeit against the bad South Carolina team. Their defense showed up ready to go. I think Mizzou wins that game outright. I love the money line for Mizzou in that one. I think Tyler Beatty mm. has one of these, like, hey, how do you like me now type of games, 30-plus touches, and Florida goes from bad to worse. Missouri plus 245 on that money line as the home dog on Saturday as they get ready to host Florida. So there will also be some speculation, Connor, here in a couple of weeks about Florida's head coach in Dan Mullen. We have seen him fire a ton of assistants, including defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. We have already spoken about how that might just be a stopgap until the end of the year when more conversations happen. If you had to set the odds on a yes or no that Dan Mellon returns next year as the head coach of the Gators, what do you think would be the favorite returning to the yes or no he is gone at the end of this season? No has to be the favorite. It just has to be. Like it was if that was the sentiment 
in, in the midst of that debacle against South Carolina, then I, I have no idea how that would have been all of a sudden improved after letting up 52 points to a four and five FCS team. Samford, not Stanford, Samford. I think that's really, to me, the the last straw for them. I think that yeah, you make you make firings and you try and find somebody that that hopefully can can dial up the right looks for you on defense. It didn't work against Samford. I don't think that Dan Mullen really is his heart is in it at this point anymore. And I think there are a lot of there are a lot of people around the program who are saying, yeah, this is all she wrote. And I expect Florida to be the last kind of big time job to come open. I'm fascinating. I'm, I'm fascinated to see. What the odds are going to be for those, uh, you know, those prospective candidates? Because it's a very, very good job, and a whole lot of people are going to be considered for it. It's going to be a lot of good jobs in college football this off season. LSU, USC, Florida, TCU, Virginia Tech, Washington. The list goes on with some of the coaches we have already seen fired before the end of this regular season. Speaking of the end of the regular season and conference championship weekend, right now when you look on the FanDuel Sportsbook, you have Georgia as a minus 200 favorite to win the SEC championship. Then you have Alabama at plus 160. Everybody else that's even still listed on this board out in the Southeastern Conference, 300 to 1 or more. So, Connor, it seems like we are going to see Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship game that first weekend of December. Alabama's path to the SEC title game throughout the rest of this regular season is what? Alabama is, in my opinion, going to win each of these next two games. They're going to, they're going to beat Arkansas. They're, they're going to beat Auburn. And they're going to go into the SEC championship trying to clinch a playoff berth. It's I think it's pretty simple. They they need one win to get to the SEC championship. It's it's that that's the 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 result of of A and M not being able to win on the road against Ole Miss. I I wouldn't necessarily be willing to even put a flyer on one of those other teams to to make it to the SEC championship to win the SEC championship. Rather, I, I think that's a pretty foregone conclusion at this point. We're just Georgia's probably already started the game prep for Alabama. Like they have Charleston Southern yeah. coming up this week. I can guarantee you that Kirby Smart is looking at film of Alabama this week, trying to figure out the best way to, to block Will Anderson, trying to figure out, hey, how do we keep Bryce Young in the pocket? How can we make sure that our 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 defensive line is back and healthy? That That's more what they're worried about. It's going to be Alabama and Georgia playing for the SEC championship. I don't think a two-loss Alabama team gets in the playoff, by the way. I got a, I got a little wager going on with our guy Dustin Chudy right now. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the first two-loss team to make the college football playoff it's going to be a team who doesn't even win its own conference. So I think if you're putting odds on that, on Alabama to make the college football playoff in hopes that maybe that's going to give you kind of an out, I wouldn't necessarily say that's going to be the case. I think Alabama, even a close loss, isn't able to get in because they don't necessarily have those big-time marquee wins that you're going to need to be that first two-loss team like 2017 Auburn. I hope so, Connor O'Gara. I certainly hope so. But if you do like Alabama to make the playoff, then you also like them to win the SEC at plus 160. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South joining us each and every Tuesday for that SEC perspective. Thank you so much as always. The morning after rolls on next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
Rounding out our third and final hour, a very happy hour here on the morning after on SportsGrid. On this Tuesday, you have been listening on Sirius XM Channel 159, the new home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM and watching all across the SportsGrid network. I've been your host, Ben Stevens. Before we say goodbye on this Tuesday, before we depart until Wednesday, a lot of great college hoops in action tonight, including the Gavit tip-off games featuring a team from the Big Ten and a team from the Big East. That's where our attention is for Bye Bye Bye. So an intriguing line to me here in the battle for the state of Nebraska. In Lincoln, Nebraska tonight, the Huskers of Nebraska host their in-state foe, the Creighton Blue Jays. And right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, Nebraska is a three-and-a-half-point home favorite tonight at Pinnacle Bank Arena against Creighton. The Blue Jays getting three-and-a-half points on the road. Creighton right now, as you look at the Kenneth Pomeroy efficiency rankings, is about 25 spots up ahead of where Nebraska is and yet, it's Creighton, who is the road team tonight in PBA, getting the points. Both of these teams so far this year, 0-2 against the spread. The only difference, Nebraska has a loss outright. Creighton is a perfect 2-0. They have been big favorites in each of their first two games, and they have not covered a number. Nebraska lost outright in their season opener against Western Illinois, I believe. And yet, Nebraska is the favorite, laying 3.5 at home this evening against Creighton I think that's too many points for the Blue Jays in fact I think Creighton might win this game outright on the money line as well if it is close in a tough in-state rivalry between Creighton and Nebraska tonight I think getting three and a half is a very beneficial number on the FanDuel Sportsbook oh yeah I also used to live and work in Omaha covering both of these teams so this is a little bit of a homer pick tonight focusing on a game between Creighton and Nebraska many great college basketball games the morning after each and every weekday right here on the grid 9 a.m to noon eastern I'm Ben Stevens until we talk tomorrow have a splendid Tuesday everybody